Man, what God is doing in our midst, showing up as he shows off, just to let us see how good he is, just to let us experience his greatness uh, for our lives. I'd like to pray with you right now. Um, if you've joined us for the first time, we are delighted that God has brought, it, brought you. But let's join together in prayer. Father, would you please speak by the power of your Holy Spirit, through your word, in the name of your son Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, how many of you guys hated taking tests when you were in school? Anybody hate tests? Yeah, most of us. Okay. Did anybody like, enjoy taking tests? Oh, you're the smart kids. There's a father, he questioned his son on why the son got an F on an exam. The son said, absence. The father said, oh, you are absent on the day of the test. The son says, no, the kid sitting beside me was absent. <laughs> Here's my definition of test. Oh my gosh. I am so funny. Okay, here we go. A test is an exam to determine what you have learned or, <laughs> I'm laughing because I know what's coming next. Well, you've learned or are learning. One teenage boy said, girlfriends are like exams. Too difficult, too many questions, requiring too much information, and the same result every time. Fail, fail, fail. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, at least I'm having a good time. Um, here are the three tests and their questions I want to go through this morning. First, let me say, the worst tests have the worst questions. And the best tests have the best questions. The important tests have the important questions. Let me start with the worst test in life. With the worst questions. I mean, ha have you ever been in a test have you ever taken a test in life that was so painful, so hard, you just wanted it to be over? While you're thinking of yours, let me tell you one of mine. It was about 18 years ago, and I was absolutely miserable. I had never, never been so frustrated. I mean, the frustration was to the point of being painful. So I went up on the rooftop of an orphanage in Haiti, and I just... Let God have it. Um, my Deb and I, we had been spending the last 18 months trying to adopt a, a young boy in Haiti and everything was going wrong from bad to terrible. And uh, we were broke. We had exhausted all of our savings in the adoption. Uh, we were at the end of our rope emotionally, mentally, and evidently I was uh, at the end of myself spiritually because I was just going on a rant at God. And I started, I really made the pain more painful and the problem worse by asking the worst kind of questions. Here's what I was doing. Why God? Why us? Are you there? Do you care? Is this some kind of test? Am I supposed to be learning something? Can this just be over? Worse questions to ask. And as a result, I made my pain worse. You done that? Have you been there? Have you been going through a painful problem? Feel it? It feels impossible. 
It's, it's got you at the end of yourself, but you make matters worse, more painful by asking the worst possible questions. New York Times uh, did a research study a few years ago called Googling for God. And they assessed all the questions being posed on Google about God. And here are the top three. The number one question was, of all the people Googling, who created God? And to me, this is like a duh question because if God is created, he is not God. God is the uncreated creator. He has no beginning. He'll have no end. He is the eternal living creator who made everything, the earth, the sky, the sea, all that's in them, made everything out of nothing so that nothing is too difficult for God. Put that in your Google. <laughs> okay, here's the second question. This is number two of all the questions asked on Google. Why does God allow suffering? Now, that's, that is a great question. I just think Google's a lousy place to go with it. I mean, you may get a quick answer, but likely unreliable. I'd like to suggest that when we have struggles and pain and difficulty in this life, instead of Googling our problems, we go to God's word. It may take some investigation. It may take some time. It may take some exploring. But what we know is we come away with truth. Now, that's a good question. But look at question number three. Of all the questions, this got the most attention. Of all the questions on Google, this is number three. Why does God hate me? Now, the struggle with going to Google, as opposed to God's word, God's word is alive with his love. His love for you, his love is so powerful. It'll knock down every doubt. His love is so powerful. It will blow away your insecurity. His love is so powerful. It will diminish all your fear. His love is the greatest power in the world. And you find it right here. Now, the, the challenge about going to God's word with our questions is that often he fires questions back at us. And so, I've started with uh, the idea that the worst tests have the worst questions. And the body of my talk is going to be this, that the best tests have the best questions. And so, so far in 2022, we've been investigating what scholars call the greatest book in the Bible and the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. Our text today is verses 31 through 37. And this text just throws question after question, fires question after question, lobs question after question at our hearts. And here's the first one. How do you respond to the goodness of God? Here it is in God's word, the question. What then shall we say in response? God's looking for a response. What then shall we say in response to these things? And maybe you say, well, tell me what these things are, and I'll give you my response. Well, if you weren't here last week in the room or online, this question is in Romans 8.31. There are four truths 
that rise to the surface in Romans 8, 29, and 30. And here they are. Number one, you are chosen by God. Because he loves you, he has chosen you. He's choosing you right now. In fact, I believe that you are in this place, in this room or online, because God is choosing you and you're saying yes to his choosing. He's loving you and choosing you and you're loving him back. <laughs> Secondly, Secondly, this is not this distant, far off God who's making random choices of people that he wants to love. No, this is an up close and deeply personal God who came to us in the person of his son, Jesus. And here's the second truth. Jesus is calling you to himself. He's calling you into real relationship with himself. The God of the universe is calling you into real relationship with this. How do you respond to that? Well, when you say yes and you come to Jesus, when you answer his call on your life, two things happen. This is number three and number four truths. One, when you come to Jesus, he declares you not guilty. You are forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future. You are declared not guilty of any sin. And then number four, he is willing in any and every area of your life where you're willing to obey him. He's willing to give you his glory. Obey him in your marriage and he glorifies your marriage. Obey him in your parenting and he glorifies your parenting. Obey him in your finances and he glorifies your finances. Your hope of glory is Christ in you. So those are the four truths. You are called by God, chosen by God, loved by God, you were declared not guilty and you were given personal experiences of his glory. So how do you respond to that? Well, to tell you the truth, most people are like, whatever. Who cares? I don't believe that. But you, you're here. You're with us in this moment because to you, Jesus is your Everything. If Jesus gave his life for me, you say, I'll give my life to him. In fact, last night, three people responded to those four truths by being baptized. In our last service, someone responded, said, I'm gonna give my life to Jesus. I'm gonna share with him fully in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. Maybe that's gonna happen now. Maybe you Maybe someone is feeling the great someone calling you to himself and you'll say yes to him by joining him in baptism, being raised up by him. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead, raising you up as a new creator. The old is gone, the new has come. Some are here today. Um, you've come back to public worship and we are very grateful because we're having a lot of fun this place. Uh, some of you online, after two years, maybe your response to those truths is that it's time for you to come back to public worship. Maybe those of you that have been here, it's time for you to begin to serve. You know, this is a young church and people know how to make babies. We, we are growing in swelling numbers and a chunk of those people are babies. Our children need your help. 
Our children need somebody who say, kids matter. Kids matter to me and I will serve. And maybe that will be your response to these four things that God has called you, chosen you and called you in Jesus and declared you not guilty and given you his glory. That's the first question. How do you respond to the goodness of God? He's looking for a response. Here's the second question. How do you handle opposition? Because we all are opposed at one time or another. Here's the question from God's word. Since God is for us, who can be against us? Maybe you have your list. I mean, mean people can be against us. Insecure people can be against us. Selfish people can be against us. People can be against us at work, at school, sometimes in our own family. But let me tell you something. The fact that God has chosen you is evidence that he is for you. The fact that God loves you is evidence that he is for you. The fact that Jesus has called you into personal relationship with himself is evidence irrefutable and beyond debate that that he is for you. The fact that Jesus has declared you not guilty of any sin is evidence that he is for you and that he willingly gives you his glory in any area of your life where you obey him. That's proof he is for you. In fact, young people, young people, this can be your mantra. You and Jesus are always a maturity. And when you take your stand with Jesus, young people, you never stand alone. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, you know, people have different perspectives on God. And one perspective will get God all wrong and one perspective will get God all right. And both perspectives can be put and have been put in songs. Like people who get God all wrong, their perspective is that he's like Santa Claus. And the song is, he's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty and God knows you're not nice. God knows, I mean, Santa Claus may have a list like that, but God knows we're all naughty. And he chooses us anyway. And he loves us anyway. And he declares us not guilty anyway. God knows we're naughty and he is still for us. Now those with a different perspective on God, the God who chooses those he loves and calls them into relationship with himself, The God who declares those not guilty who come to him, gives him his glory. There's a song about that too. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am God, who you say I am. In fact, mean people, insecure people, racist can be against us. Selfish people, people for no reason at all. Here's what I feel. Let me show you. If God is for us, who cares? Who's against us? I love the way Jonathan said it in the Old Testament part of the Bible. He said, the Lord will help us. 
the Lord will help us. Jonathan is in this difficult, painfully impossible situation. He has no doubt. No matter what it seems, no matter how circumstances appear, the Lord will help us. Nothing and nobody can hinder the Lord. He can win the battle. He can win every kind of battle every time. It makes no difference to him how many enemies there are, how daunting the problem, how difficult the situation, how painful the moment, my God will help. So that's the first three questions. But Paul isn't done as he writes this eighth chapter. He's got more questions. Um, and, And here's the next one. Who do you trust to provide for you? I mean, who do you trust to provide for your emotional needs, your need to be loved and to give love and to be significant? Who do you trust to provide for you financially? Who do you trust to provide for your family? Who do you trust to provide for wisdom that you need in your parenting? Who who do you trust for, for intimacy that you need in your marriage? Who do you turn to? Who do you trust to provide for you in the difficulties of, of your life? Who do you trust? And then he writes this. He writes, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Paul loves that phrase, all things. I can do all things, he writes, through Christ who gives me strength. God works all things together for the good. And here he says, if God sent his one and only son, his most precious, his dearly loved of highest value. If God gave his one and only son, gave him up, you know what that means? It means that he didn't just send Jesus to live for us and to be our friend. He sent Jesus to die in our place on a bloodstained cross. On that cross, Jesus would take all Dave Clark's sins. He would take all the punishment you deserve for your sin. Everything bad about me would be put on him and everything good about him would be put on me. Everything wrong with you would be put on Jesus and everything right with Jesus would be put on you. All God's anger, all God's judgment, all God's condemnation would would fall on his son and God would never be angry with you. God would never judge you. God would never condemn you because Jesus bore it all, all things. All things. You see, when, we're, when we face difficulty, when we feel in desperate need, when the pain is rising, all we got to do is look back to the cross and see Jesus, what God gave in our behalf, and God raised him from the dead. If God can do that, he can do anything. If he's willing to give Jesus, he'll give you anything. If he's willing to rescue Jesus and deliver him from death itself, he will rescue and deliver you from any struggle you're going through. Well, I found out that that rant on that sweltering hot rooftop on the orphanage in Haiti just made things worse. My Debbie stayed in Haiti. I'm back home, and uh, it's another month of returning after a day's work to a darkened house to spend another meal in front of the TV and then go to bed alone. I'm tired of it. And now, once again, in my darkened kitchen, I'm having another little rant with God. I'm like, what is the 
benefit of knowing you? What's the benefit of serving you? What's the benefit of being a pastor if you don't come through when you're supposed to? And then I did the Bible study of the insane. Have you ever done that? And guess where my finger fell? Psalm 103. Guess what Psalm 103 says? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins, David. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with his love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires. I desire that boy. I desire for him to be my son. I desire Wilkie to be right here in this house with me and my wife. I desire for us to be family. Something goes off in me. I'm not pacing a rooftop in Haiti. I'm marching through my dark house, that old farmhouse on Riverside Drive, and I'm making a faith declaration to my God. That's the desire of my heart, and you will satisfy my desire with good things in less than a month. Deb and Wilkie and I are on an airplane flying out of Haiti to America, and he has become such a wonderful man of God, and now husband and father. It was the, it was the big declaration of faith. And when he was in our home, and I would lay in my bed at night, so excited I couldn't go to sleep, I would say, Lord, in that bedroom across the hall, you have satisfied the desire of my heart. That's the good thing you give when we declare faith. So where do you need to declare faith? Where do you need a breakthrough? Look at this. Big breakthroughs happen with big faith declarations. And that's what Paul does. He keeps firing questions, but with each question, he gives the answer in the, in the form of a great faith declaration. Here we go again. Book of Romans chapter eight. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his very own? Here's the declaration. No one, God himself, has given us right standing with himself. Now, maybe it would be better if it said no person accuses you. Because Satan accuses you. He is your enemy. He accuses you and I night and day, night and day, night and day before the Father. Night and day he goes before Father God and just list all my sins. He didn't have to lie. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. He's told lies from the beginning, but he didn't have to lie about my sins. He just got to tell God the truth. He makes his accusations against me. And then my defense attorney in the person of Jesus Christ takes his stand. I can't talk very good. I can't refute the evil one. But I don't need to because I've got a, a defender, an advocate in the presence of God who pulls back his sleeves and shows his nail scars where his blood covered my sin, pulls back his robe and shows where the spear went into his side and blood spilled out for my sin, shows the scars in his feet where he was pierced to the cross and shed his blood to cover all my sin. This is all the evidence you need, Father. And the, and the accusations are silenced. And I am declared, you are declared, we are declared not guilty. Here's the last question. Who then will condemn us? Uh, 
Next to last question. Here's the declaration. No one, no person for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. Now, why is that a big deal? I mean, you go to church and you always hear that Jesus died for your sins, but what's the big deal about Jesus being raised for us? Well, that means because Jesus conquered the grave with resurrection power, we, me and you, we get to do life. If we are followers of Jesus, if we've responded to being chosen, to his call, to being declared not guilty, to, to, to receive his glory, if we made that kind of response, then we get to love and live and serve and worship in the incomparably great power by which Jesus was raised from the dead. Every candidate last night and earlier today that I baptized, I told, when you come up out of the water, Scripture says you're coming up by the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. You're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Putting your past behind you, bearing your baggage, and you are made new by the love and power of God. He rose to life for us. And he is sitting right now at the place of honor at God's right hand, praying for us. Isn't that wild? You are here today because you are answering the prayer of Jesus. At God's right hand, do you think he hears the prayers of his son? Do you think he has a heart to answer? When Jesus is praying for you, do you think God the Father has a heart to answer his prayers about your life? God is willing. But we have to take responsibility for our part and being the answer to the prayers of Jesus. And look at you, look at you online. You set aside the time. You gave your heart to worship. You're engaged right now in the word of God. You will be the, the answer to the prayers of Jesus in your behalf. And your God is ever and always at work to your good. Here's the last question. Sorry for lying in church. Only about the, that last one was the last one. Here we go. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted, hungry, destitute, or in danger? Can death separate us? Here's the declaration. No. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And all these things, we are more than conquerors. So when somebody asks us how we're doing, we don't say, hey, Okay, under the circumstances. No, we live over the circumstances. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not through our intellect, not through our bank account, not through our personal charisma, not through our education. We are more than conquerors in any struggle, in any pain, in any problem. We are more than conquerors through him. We're not overwhelmed, we're overcomers. We are more than conquerors through him. Jesus Christ who loved us and proved his love by his death and validated by his resurrection. So in 2022, we've not been making resolutions. We've been making commitments to the truth. And here's today's. This is number seven in our journey through Romans 8. I commit to believe I'm more than a conqueror. Friends, this is not positive thinking. I'm a positive guy, but this is the truth. This is the truth. But you have to declare the truth for your life. In fact, I'm gonna ask you to stand with me right now and we'll declare it together. One of my friends last night told me that she's memorizing the commitments and uh, she forgot one, went back to her bathroom mirror where she had posted her bookmark. You can grab one on your way out if you want one. And it wasn't in the bathroom mirror. 
she asked her husband what happened to her bookmark. It, it, that's the way it works. You don't blame it on the dog. He said, well, it fell in the sink and I spit on it. <laughs> Maybe instead of putting your commitments on the bathroom mirror, your refrigerator door, or computer screen, have it tattooed to your thigh, okay? And then just dare him to spit on your thigh. Here we go together. I'll repeat it. I'll say it. You repeat it after me. I commit to believe. I am more than a conqueror. I commit to believe. I am more than a conqueror. One more time. I commit to believe. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who saved me. Jesus Christ who saved me. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired Podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.